Here we go, rejecting the screen. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast, out West under all sorts of ash and <laughs> air quality that nobody should be experiencing is Adam Stenko. Just two plugged in dudes talking hoops and a little bit of life. Coming Thursday, it'll be his first interview for his new book, the multiple time New York Times bestselling author, Jeff Perlman spoke to us exclusively. And we can say exclusively because it was his first mm-hmm. about his new book, Three Ring Circus on the Kobe, Shaq, Phil Lakers. And we'll discuss the details of that podcast coming up later in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Adam, so James Harden and the Rockets are out of the playoffs. And it was embarrassing again. Yep. The way they went out was despicable, humiliating, if you're a member of the Houston Rockets. And James Harden himself on this podcast has been somewhat of a divisive figure since I said at the beginning of the season, I just can't watch him play a whole game. And that has continued, although I had a little bit of an uptick during the season, but I can't watch him play the whole game. I'll watch James Harden highlights. You have been a James Harden Defender. Yes. Yes. So what I, the fact that Harden went out the way he did, it started to make me think, well, he doesn't have a ring again. And now the Giannis conversation start as we said they would. Well, now what with Giannis? And we've gone back and forth and discussed on previous podcasts about how long it took Michael Jordan to do it. And he had won MVPs, et cetera. So Harden just turned 31. So my thought was, hmm, if it's still the common thought that until you win a ring, you can't be considered great. So I went and looked at the top 50. Okay. In in 1997, the NBA's top 50. And it was not just media members. It wasn't just Peter Vesey making this list. Go back and listen to the rejecting the screen going ISO with Peter Vesey. If you really want to be entertained, it's still on the feed. Peter Vesey, Bob Ryan, Wilt voted, players voted, coaches voted. Yes. Adam, there were 11 players in the top 50 of all time who hadn't won a title. And 10 of them never won the title. Barkley, Dave Bing, Drexler, Ewing, Gervin, Carl Malone, Stockton, Pete Maravich, Nate Thurman, Lenny Wilkins, and Shaq. So when you look at that list, does it put into perspective James Harden's career standing at all for you? Well, you know how I feel. You just mentioned it, that I've been a defender, his supporter, fan, whatever you want to call it. Um, Obviously, these playoffs make things very difficult because it was, as you point out, the way that the Rockets went out. And that's pointed to quite a bit. But as we look at the last stretch, the fact that Harden continues to get to at least the Western Conference semis, I want to say five of the last six seasons, um, and then you look at what his scoring numbers have been all time, you'd look top 15 scoring seasons all time. Wilt has six of those. Jordan has two. James Harden has two. LeBron not in that list, by the way. 
And then everyone else that's on the list, Kareem, Rick Barry, Kobe, Elgin, Baylor, and McAdoo, all with one apiece. So you start going through these things that Harden has accomplished. And as you point out, as it relates to what the top 50 list was in 1996 and who would have to be taken out in order for other guys to get in, Harden is most definitely a top 50 player of all time. And even in this series, as much as we can look at some of the lackadaisical play and, and, and some of the issues that he had uh, throughout, he still shot 50% from the floor, still scored over 29 a game. And I know the thing with Harden supporters always is, or anyone knocking Harden supporters is, yeah, but you guys always point to stats. What is he doing on the court? Well, his teams are winning games. He's won an MVP. And he's getting to at least the Western Conference semis every year. He's not winning titles. He's not beating the Warriors. And now he basically seemingly gets knocked out every year between Steph Curry or LeBron James. So, you know, based upon this year, too. I I think it's it, it, you it's okay to be great and not the greatest of your generation. And I think we almost have to accept that is how I'm starting to look at James Harden. I feel like if I put out on Twitter. James Harden, top 50 player of all time. You get a lot of, no, 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 no. Some, uh, maybe. And very few, oh yeah, very few. Number 51 on that list, according to Peter Vesey's sources that he wrote about in the New York Post, was Dominique Wilkins. James Mm -hmm. Harden or Dominique Wilkins. Two guys who advanced in the playoffs never won a title. James Harden at 31. And, and what I'm trying to do is have some start some sort of thought-provoking conversation with the he can be a top 50 player of all time and never have won a title. And that's okay because it's that difficult to win a title. He just turned 31. He's going to be a seven-time All-NBA. He already has, as we record this on Monday, September 14th, he already has five first-team All-NBAs. He's a three-time scoring champ, three straight years, an MVP. He's an eight-time All-Star. But he's laid too many eggs in major playoff games. And eggs for him are relative, but he's had some brutal, bag-over-the-head type performances. In 2022, Adam, the NBA will likely exist, (laughs) hopefully. The NBA will likely do their top 75 at 75. Mm -hmm. He's going to be a top 75 player. Absolutely. I'm really interested to see which guys are taken off from the top 50 and if it's a just a straight generational thing. Like, oh, Dolph Shaves, gone. Paul Arizon, gone. Right. Bob, Bob right. Cousy, he couldn't guard James Harden. Those are the conversations I'm interested in in seeing. But James Harden is a top 50 player, but James Harden might never be a champion. You bring up so many interesting points there. I think it's funny, inter- interestingly enough, I, I went back and looked. Who are the MVPs that have come out since that that top 50 list was made. So when you start to think about that top 75 and who guys are going to be taken off, I mean, Robert Parrish is, is gone. Guys like that. If you didn't win an MVP award and you were on the top 50 at the time, 
there's no way I think that you're going to survive. Um, and, and here's why. Allen Iverson, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, Steve Nash has won two. Dirk, Kobe, LeBron's won four. Derek Rose, KD, Steph Curry, obviously two with the unanimous one. Harden, as I mentioned, and Giannis. So, and who's probably going to have two by, by the time that um, obviously this list comes out. So it's, it's interesting to note that all those guys look like it'd be real tough to keep them off a top 75 list, right? I mean, that's a, that's a given. And that's just a start of MVP guys um, that, you, that you start to get into. Um, but I think as it's interesting, Harden is so polarizing because of Houston's style of play, because of Daryl Morey. Uh, you could start to get into the the China stuff and the connections there with Houston, which obviously started with with Yao Ming and obviously all the endorsement stuff, and then how the the China incidents were were treated. But it's also his style of play and this reputation that he earned a few years ago for a guy who only plays on the offensive end, and that he draws a lot of fouls and guys hate that part of it too. Never mind ISO ball, which is talked about a lot. Oh, he's going to just dribble it all day long and shoot. So when he has ugly games. Even if, like his defenders, like my, myself would say, man, his defense has gotten so much better. Like he actually takes on tough defensive challenges. Uh, you know, he was guarding Anthony Davis a lot in that Lakers series and all. Not that he's a lockdown defender, but just the idea he can guard guys in the post. He does come up. His effort is much better. We saw the defensive play to save game seven, obviously, that people can point to. But typically when he has bad games, the shooting is off from three and they're just horrendous shooting nights. So all you're seeing is a guy desperately just trying to get to the line, flailing a lot, missing outside jumpers, and then not finding other ways to help his team. Even if those other ways, which I pointed out, especially when it relates to his comparison with Luka Doncic is he finds people. And, and if you send a double consistently to Harden, he's going to try to make the right play. And he's a wonderful passer too. So you're talking about, I've always said, I think he's the most, refined offensive player of this generation, maybe of all time. His footwork is incredible. His handle's unreal. He knows how to draw fouls. He could shoot from the outside. and He's an excellent passer. His vision's incredible. So, like, unbelievable offensive talent. But when it's off and his shots aren't falling and he just sort of doesn't play too with a level that inspires teammates, I think that's the part that really gets to people and, and makes him so polarizing. Give me KD over James Harden just straight offensive game, even if they don't have to play any defense in a game, give me KD over James Harden. The Shaq one was interesting in mm-hmm. being included in the top 50 because he had only played four seasons in the league and he hadn't been a, at his first four seasons, go look at whenever I hear he's a franchise player, I always <laughs> think Shaq. Look at Shaq's game logs in his oh. first week with the Orlando Magic. And in Shaq's first four seasons, he was an All-NBA second team, and he was a two-time All-NBA third team. He was the scoring champ in 95. But in the 95 finals, they got swept by Olajuwon and the Rockets, and Olajuwon had gone for 33-11-6-2-2 in the finals when he was a 28-point-per-game scorer during the regular season. And Shaq and in those finals took 42 of his team's 89 free throw attempts and made 57% of them. And then in the 96 conference finals, when he got swept. So these conversations still weren't happening about Shaq at the time in the 96 conference finals, when he got swept, he went for 27 and 11 and shot 36% 
from the floor, uh, 36% from the line. Mm-hmm. The conversations weren't happening about Shaq the way they're happening about James Harden, but they're still both top 50 players of all time. And it almost makes you think, if they put the, together a list now, you think, who are the guys that you would sort of put in that conversation? And it would almost be, it, it reminded me a lot, actually, when Shaq got selected, how it felt at the time to be listed among the all-time greats. There was some great foresight there from the voters, and they just knew where he was at that point in his career and then the career trajectory. I mean, as you point out. But, hold I mean, on, but, should, average- but should they have been looking ahead like that? That was that was the question at the time. Imagine if LeBron had been put in that group four years in. He did have a first team and two second teams. Yep. In his I, first well, the guy, that I, the guy that I, I put there that I think would be similar case is, is Luka Doncic. I think Luka would be the interesting case where if we're talking two years from now, mm-hmm. I think Luka would end up on all these lists. And, and, you know, even more so what felt to be the case – was how everybody was treating Zion last year. The way the Shaq thing was so similar to the Zion thing. Like, oh, Zion, a top 50 player in the NBA right now. And remember that conversation? Right, sure. We forget. It feels forever ago at, when was. he was the Duke. But and it was forever ago. Each day is taking so long now. It's just a killer. But it's a month. But I, I do think it was so interesting at the time that they did that. I actually, th- I remember thinking, Wow, I give them credit for recognizing here's this guy who hasn't quote unquote earned it yet. If his career were to end right at this moment, yeah, but but also there was something to be said for Shaq's dominance at the time, which mm-hmm. the league had never seen a force like that. And doesn't mean the league didn't see other great centers. I'm not talking Wilt scoring numbers are insane, Bill Russell's defensive dominance, obviously Kareem's overall ability to win at all levels but but i'm more talking about just physically a guy that just pushed people around but then was so nimble and quick he was remember he's breaking backboards and I, just he was well force of nature yeah. yeah 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 he was well Kawhi leonard would be on that list paul george likely playing himself off lists but as he mm-hmm. says we're still in the driver's seat if Paul George in the driver's seat right now, he needs to get pulled over. And the parts need to be fixed for the Clippers car. RockAuto.com is where Doc Rivers should be shopping. Family yes, business sir. serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. If you go to RockAuto.com, you can shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Maybe they can get a new six-man there. They have everything from parts for your engine, for your taillights, motor oil, you can get new carpet. Maybe it's just a new interior that the Clippers need before they play game seven on Tuesday night. Whether it's for a classic car, a daily driver, you can get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. RockAuto.com, you got a great catalog. It's unique, remarkably easy to navigate. And the prices are always reliably low for the same for professionals. And then for the folks like us who are going to do it ourselves. So go to rockauto.com right now and you can see all the parts available for your car or truck. Here's what's important for us, at least. Go to their How Did You Hear About Us box and type in Locked On, L-O-C-K-E-D space on, Locked On, so that they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com.
So how can Paul George say with a straight face, we're in the driver's seat? You're in an ejector seat at this point, getting launched from the car, (laughs) having blown another lead. When they were up big in game five, they should have closed it out. Now this is turning into an all-time gag job if they end up losing on Tuesday night as we record this on Monday afternoon. And if they lose, then it's all the questions of, well, Paul George has one more year on his contract. Kawhi Leonard has one more year on his contract. Do they want to continue to play for Doc Rivers? What if Doc Rivers gets fired? Is it up to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to choose the next head coach? Whatever's going to keep them here. This team was built to win right now. And I've long thought that this was the best team in basketball. But you cannot say, there are plenty of other things to say to feign confidence. But this is just a flat out lie. You are no longer in the driver's seat. When the Rockets were playing the Lakers, you remember ages ago in that other Western Conference, am I? After game two, the Rockets were quoted as saying, like, our confidence is sky high. We lost the Lakers, but our confidence is sky high. And you're like, okay, I can see where they're coming from. They feel like they have a shot. They won game one, and they said, all right, we were competing in game two. The Clippers, after game four, I thought, okay, we're finally seeing it. And Doc echoed, echoed those those same sentiments. He he said in his post-game press conference that, like, hey, we're really starting to play better, but we haven't even hit our ceiling yet, like, this team has so much potential and we're finally starting to show it. And they were, they were dogs on the defensive end. Like these guys were getting after it. They were mucking up the game, making it so difficult for the nuggets to do anything. And when they lock in defensively, they're incredible. They have so many guys that can go. And then on the offensive end, they're so deep and they're so deep in general, but just the fact that Lou Williams comes in and adds another offensive weapon for them where do you go? What do you do? Plus they have their guys, like they have three guys, Lou Williams, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard that can get a shot anytime that they want. So you look at it and go, man, th- there's everything to like about this team. They're versatile. They can play big. They can run, whatever. That was through game four. Then we get to the first half of game five and you're thinking, okay, still everything's going great. They fall apart. Let the, let the Nuggets come back and then let the Nuggets close out. Then we go into game six, same thing, up big in the first half. Here comes this crazy Nuggets run. And the most disheartening part, and it goes right to exactly what you're saying about how Paul George cannot make that statement. As the Nuggets are making their run, and as they surpass the Clippers and take the lead, there was this like deflated look on all the Clippers' faces like, what is happening here? Like, And, and, and the energy level just died out. And you could just hear it from Doc Rivers like, guys, what is going on here? Like, where's the heart that you are supposed to have? And I sort of come back to, and it's one of those things I'm sure that we always question, where's the leadership? Meanwhile, had they won game five, had they just closed out a half, then you would have been like, oh, look at how many leaders they have on this team. Right, look, but how, you do, look how great Kawhi is for this group. Look how great Kawhi is. Doc has, has got these guys rolling the whole deal. But like, there is a question that I almost start to have, which is like, where does the leadership come from? Is it from Patrick Beverly? I mean, we know he he runs no, his it mouth, it's but it Kawhi. can't be Patrick Beverly. It's got to be, be Kawhi. And the thing is, Paul George wants to be, and he could say these things, 
but it can't even come from Paul George. He hasn't proven it yet with this team. He hasn't had his moment. He's had moments, but he hasn't had his like it moment where he took over and said, that's it. Forget everyone else. I'm taking over. Kawhi, of course, has done that. Kawhi's done it throughout his career, but he's so quiet that you almost wonder like, do they defer to him? How much is he talking in huddles? That's the question I have for this team. And that's also the question I have about Paul George even making that statement. But I think that the rest of that team, voices or not, need to be able to follow Kawhi's example. Kawhi is still playing yes. at a A-plus level. But yes. it's not good enough because the rest of the team is dogging it. Paul George hasn't been good. Lou Williams can't get a shot. Landry Shamit's now buried on the bench. Montrezl Harrell stinks. Oh, looks in- like a shell of himself. Sure, is it? Is it embarrassing a bit for Giannis to accept the MVP given where their season went? Sure, but is Montrez Harrell putting on a ski mask to take that six-man-of-the-year award now? <laughs> it's a great question. And then, I mean, keep going. Zubats just looks lost at times. I, at I, at this- times, but Zubats has been so much – he's been so much better, at least offensively. He's been – yeah. Yeah, but even, even in game six, even in game six, there were multiple times down the stretch where they needed a bucket, came out of a timeout, and then he bobbled a pass. I mean, right, but think about it. But like, if you come out of a timeout, you, you need a bucket, and Zubac is your guy? No, you've right. got, I mean, he, should, he shouldn't be the option. All agreed. All agreed. And I, I, think, I think you look at this whole team, and, and I have to ask the question about where is this leadership coming from? And, and in a sense, like, I need to I need to see more than Paul George's words. I need to see guys get on the floor. I need to see guys play with great energy. And and what they really need is to they can't squeak by the Nuggets and win that game 7 and think they're going to have a chance and that they can just turn it on against the Lakers. They have to blow out the Nuggets. Is is now the way that I'm looking at this in order for them psychologically to be in a good place to go right, up. Like there's no true reset once you face the Lakers. It's not like yeah. a, a reset. Okay, we got by the Nuggets. Let's reset. Let's focus on the Lakers, and maybe the Lakers will their play will will rise our play. I don't will raise up our play. I doubt right. it. But when all the Clippers and I want to close on this, the Clippers assistant coaches Ty Lue, Sam Cassell, getting mentioned for all the other head coaching jobs. Yes. So if you have Doc, who's a great coach, and Ty Lue, and Sam Cassell. What's going on with the team? And that's the ultimate question right there. What is going on with the team? Where are they at psychologically? What's allowing them to just sort of fall asleep? And I do think there's a question of them looking ahead. I do think that's been a part. But no, I just want to say this final thing. That in a normal situation, in a normal playoffs, you could be inspired by a home crowd Oh, we're going back home. We're getting some home cooking. You could be inspired by, oh, the, their fans were against us. Let's let's make a statement. All of that stuff. I don't think you can turn on and off in the bubble. Every day feels the same. Every situation feels the same. And every arena is feeling the same because they're, you know, they look identical. So I think all in all, you are in a situation where it's got to be you and it's got to be your own leadership to flip that switch. If only there was a podcast that would have told you before the bubble started that the team that's going to win at the end may not be the best on paper, but will be the most mentally fit. If, hmm. only, if only there was a podcast that talked about manufacturing, being forced to manufacture that type of motivation since you won't have a crowd to lift you up 
or a crowd to try to silence. Hmm. Hmm. If only, if only, if only there was a podcast that interviewed Jeff Perlman and you could listen to it starting oh. on Thursday, the author of three ring circus, Kobe, Shaq and Phil. And when I tell you there's a headline, every page, I'm not lying. Coming Thursday on Rejecting the Screen, it's the Going ISO edition. We do it every week. It's a long-form interview. We've done it with journalists like Peter Vesey, Howard Beck. And now on Thursday, it'll be Jeff Perlman. We've done it with former players, former coaches. We get great stories from so many folks who have touched the NBA in some sort of way. Everybody has a story, and we take great pride in getting those stories out. On Thursday, Jeff Perlman will be on. It'll be his first interview about his new book, Three Ring Circus, Shaq, Kobe, Phil Lakers. And I've read the book. Adam has not read the book. And the conversation with Jeff starts with, you think a lot of these players are going to regret saying what they did about Kobe when the book comes out? And Jeff says, yeah. But he was finished the book a few months before Kobe died. And I'll suggest that even if you haven't read the book by the time you see excerpts, and most likely you haven't read the book by the time, you know, before you see excerpts, but make sure to try to find the author's note at the front of the book so that you understand where Jeff is coming from when writing the book, especially when it comes to dealing with Kobe. That was what so much of our conversation was based upon. This idea that, that Jeff has this dilemma that he's now dealing with. And, and he you could tell by the interview, and this is what I was so blown away with, was just how forthcoming he was about this awkward situation that he was suddenly placed in. So he writes this book about Kobe, Shaq era Lakers. We get into why he wrote the book, what prompted him to write it. He writes it, talks to so many people, anyone that's read Jeff Perlman books, whether you read his previous book, Showtime on the Lakers, or his books on the Mets, or Walter Payton, you know that the, re- the USFL, the research that he puts in is just nearly unmatched. I mean, mm-hmm. so many interviews that he does, and he such due diligence, and really gets to the granular details of these stories. And so it's fascinating when you read one of his books because they're so well-researched and so many interviews. So there's so much context to what's going on and really the nuance of situations, which now we always just hit on big headlines and all that and in today's era. But Jeff does such a great job of like getting to the details. And so when he talks about this idea that he finished this book and then now gets the news and this is in so much shock like the rest of us about about Kobe's passing. It's wow. OK, what next kind of thing? And and he's still got a book to promote. And I think the biggest thing is that people are going to think instantly, regardless of how much we say it or he says it, all the media he's about to do, because this is going to be very salacious, as you pointed out before the break, every page, something fascinating you're telling me you're hitting me up every time like you won't believe what just i just read this book let let me tell you about this one part that i'm not even allowed to tell you about as a kid kobe was an asshole and that that comes across but jeff makes it known that you can't really know a person as a man without knowing him 
as a boy. And that's what Kobe was. And Jeff makes it clear in our interview that it seemed like he was just trying out personas all mm -hmm. the time. That he was never really comfortable with himself. The book starts off with a fight with Samaki Walker on a bus and then ends with Kobe in tears leaving a voicemail. There's the story about Jerry Stackhouse, that Stackhouse has answered these questions so many times about, was Kobe really working you in those practices when Kobe was just a kid in Philly and Stackhouse was a sixer? There's a DM from Stackhouse to Jeff Perlman that says, what's up, brother? Hope all is well. Probably not the one to talk much about Kobe to expand on all the myth of him beating me as a high schooler. But to his credit, I've never heard him say it, but he hasn't denied it either. So basically, fuck him. Yeah, you think Stackhouse has given that quote now? Nope. And you get a real sense of Shaq as a leader versus Kobe, what Kobe was like as a teammate. There's, it's really heavy. It's heavy to listen to the interview. It's really yes. heavy listening to the book. And Kobe would not talk for the book. Shaq spoke. Phil spoke. J.R. Ryder. Eric Chenoweth spoke. Right. Kobe would not speak for this book. So I, have, I have really do have mixed emotions thinking about the heaviness of this book and the excerpts that will come out, the quotes that will come out, how it will make his family feel. But this was what Kobe was like as a young player in the NBA. In front of me, I have the book, The Mama Mentality, that Kobe put together with Andy Bernstein, previous guest on the podcast. And Andy mm -hmm. talked about their relationship, how much he loved Kobe and how much he respected him and what he saw on a daily basis. And he spent over 20 years with Kobe Bryant. And, and they developed this, this bond and this tight relationship. And it's interesting because I think the most fascinating part in talking to Jeff Perlman was this reminder that people aren't just one way that, that, that people are, have, they're multifaceted. They, they have different parts of their personality. And also there's a maturity level that takes place certainly with an NBA player who's 17 years old and has this desire to be the greatest player of all time and has the work ethic to do it. And Kobe was unlike anyone else. And so to understand who he was, and if we really want to understand that, and that wasn't Jeff's intention when he wrote the book, obviously, because he didn't know Kobe was, was going to pass away at such a young age. His, but if, if your intention is to learn all about what makes Kobe Bryant tick, then Jeff has tapped into that and understood at least what, it, what, what made him tick early on in his career. And what sort of what was motivating him, what he was trying to figure out, as you point out, the different personalities. And I'll say this note, too. Just got news yesterday, actually, that a guy that I went to high school with, the greatest athlete I've seen in my life, who's unbelievable, passed away. We got the news yesterday. And he had, he had trouble for as long as I knew him. Was, was struggling with things that like there was stuff that he was dealing with, had some mental issues and there was rumors about stuff he had gotten into and everything after he graduated from high school, he could have, he was an unbelievable football player. He was a running back. They did things on the football field that I still tell my kids, like I, I can't understand it. Like the, his grace was incredible. So naturally strong. 
everything I saw this guy touch, like in gym class, it looked like it was the easiest thing in the world for him. But like he didn't, he barely played basketball. One day picks up a basketball and he's doing moves on the court for just five minutes that I'm like this, I've never seen anything like this before. And I've since seen so many wonderful athletes in person. And I still put him on this, this pedestal. And I just saw so many comments come in and this is where it relates to the Kobe thing. All these people with this positive praise for him and talked about, Oh, he was awesome. And he was so funny and this great respect for him. And yet these same people, these same sort of comments, I remember when there were stories floating about the same guy that had come out years ago, these same people were talking about him in a much different light. And in a way, I don't think either of those things is wrong. In a way, they both could be right, right? Like you can also, not only can a person have different facets of their personality, but you can also see different things in a person. And sometimes after they pass away, you appreciate different parts of them and you want to only focus on the good. And I think there's good in that. But also that doesn't mean that person couldn't have been lousy at certain points in their life. And I think that's the dilemma Jeff Scott, as as he's going to put this book out there and the fact that he was so candid with us, I cannot stress enough that people need to be listening to this if you are interested in Kobe Bryant at all. You can even talk about the details of the rape case. Details are dark. Details go. are dark. But that's a part of Kobe's life. And Kobe seemingly turned his life around and became a different type of person as a father, as a player, as a friend than he was as, as a kid. And I want to end this by mentioning the part that you alluded to at the beginning of this. There are going to be a lot of people when this book comes out, they're going to be in an awkward position because they gave quotes on the record about Kobe that they wouldn't give now. And in a way, I'm almost glad those things came out. And it, it'll be really interesting to see how those people respond. Not that they're going to say, I take that back. But a lot of people, like you just mentioned, is in Jerry Stackhouse's case of like, that's how I felt at the time. I would think they would say, I feel much differently now. That's on Thursday. Jeff Perlman exclusively his first interview about the book Three Ring Circus. You can pre-order it wherever you get your books. That's on Thursday here on Rejecting the Screen. Everything else on the Locked On Podcast Network, Locked On NBA, five days a week. Numbers are soaring. Hollinger and Duncan, Locked On Fantasy Hoops with Josh Lloyd, and of course, your team every single day on the Locked On Podcast Network. You like what you heard today? You like what you're going to hear on Thursday? Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you're listening on Apple podcasts, click that five star, leave a rating. That must take hours, Noah, right? Subscribing and clicking five stars. That must take like all day to do that, right? Hours. There's no excuse. If you are listening right now, (laughs) if you made it this far and you can withstand Noah and I at this point, and I'm sure you've listened before, just do it right now. Just do it. Just do it. You can follow us on Instagram at rejecting underscore the underscore screen. Adam's on Twitter at NaismithLives. I'm at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V. James Harden, the top 50 player. Hmm. Adam? Yes. 
he is. And Noah, Thanks, pal. You are the best.